0: All right, when I was little, my parents took me to see a magician. Now, I'm assuming that you know what I mean. When an American says we want to see a magician, it means we want to see somebody who's good at sleight of hand and illusory tricks. And what I remember most about this magician wasn't the fact that he made his assistant disappear and then reappear. I honestly couldn't tell you if there were any rabbits pulled out of any hats but I do remember this. I remember that I missed out in a really big way. And I'm still a little upset about it because the magician asked the question, who wants it? He asked that question as he held up a $20 bill in his hands. Now, I don't know what your life was like growing up, but me at that age, however old I was, $20 was a fortune. And he's like, who wants it? I think my hand shot into the air so fast it must have broken the sound barrier because it was a few seconds afterwards that my voice finally came, caught up and said, me, 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 me. And I started yelling, trying to get his attention. Clearly being the most deserving kid in the whole auditorium. Um, unfortunately, every other kid in the auditorium thought the same thing. And we're all clamoring for this magician's attention. And he's standing up there with a smile on his face, a $20 bill in his hand, asking who wants it, who wants it, who wants it. Who wants it? Well, after this goes on for a little bit, my father leans over and says, Luke, Jordan, go take it. And I was like, what? Go go take it? That's not how this works. I'm not going to get up out of my seat and shimmy down the row and then head down the aisle and go stand in front of everyone looking stupid, asking for money. Like, that's not how this is supposed to work. But my brother Luke got up. Out of a seat and shimmied down the row past everyone. I thought he looked like a moron and he walked down the aisle out front out in front of everybody and he came up to that magician and he held out his hand and he says I want it and that magician put $20 in my brother's hand and I'm still ticked about it. I missed out. Now kids if you happen to be watching this I will admit to you that later on in my life in a similar situation when someone says, hey, who wants it? I tried the get out of my seat and walk down in front of everyone and ask for it. I looked like a moron and they sent me back to my seat. So not every presenter, um, this won't work with every presenter, but there was a chance. And my brother was the only person in the auditorium willing to go take it. See, all of us are afraid, I think of missing out on the things that are really important. Of those missed opportunities, of those treasures, those things of value that could have been ours, whether immaterial or material. And we're afraid of missing out. And this morning, I have good news for you. That there is something in our lives that we have not yet missed out on. I grew up listening to a song, The Cats in the Cradle. I don't know if you ever heard it, The Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue and the Man on the Moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. It's a a song written about a boy and his relationship with his father. And his father was always too busy for him. And time and time again, the son would come and say, Dad, can we go play? Can we throw a ball? And the dad was always too busy and says, we'll do it later. And the son walks away, always smiling to himself, saying, Dad, when I grow up, I'm going to be just like you. And the last verse of the song... The father is retired and his son moved away and he calls his son up the other day and says, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. And the son replies, I'd love to, dad, if I could find time. But this new job's a hassle and the kids with the flu. But it's sure nice been talking to you, dad. And the song ends, as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he's grown up just like me. My boy's just like me. It's a song of regret, all right? There was a treasure. There was a kid in your life that you could have known, you could have loved, and you could have spent time with and you missed out. Again, family of grace, I have good news. There's a relationship in our life that we don't have to miss out on. It's not too late. All right. We have an opportunity to get to know someone named Jesus who is presently accessible to you and to I and to everybody else, a relationship that is a treasure, that is of inestimable value. That if we truly knew what was on offer, our hands would shoot up and we'd start crying, me, 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 me. And this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to look at how different people respond to this good news about a guy named Jesus. And one character, one group of characters in our story, sees the Christ, sees Jesus for the treasure that he is. And it changes their life forever. We're going to be in matthew chapter 2 now in the gospel of matthew matthew is trying to show us who jesus is and he's trying to show us that jesus is the fulfillment of the story of israel the story of god's people the story of the history of the world that in jesus all god's promises are coming true and so he begins with a genealogy jesus is the son of abraham all right the the promised seed who's going to be a blessing to the whole world Jesus is the son of David, all right? The coming king who will rule over all the nations of the world and build a house for God, all right? And Matthew's attempt in these first couple chapters is to show us how Jesus from Nazareth, son of Joseph, at least that's the story we heard, is actually Jesus, the son of David, from the town of Bethlehem. And so last week we looked at the birth story of Jesus. How he was born of a virgin. God did a unique thing in the womb of Mary, this virgin girl, and she gave birth to a son. And Joseph, who at that point had now married her, um, her and Joseph, they, they never had relations with one another, if you catch my drift, until after Jesus was born. Right, it was a miracle. And his name, Jesus, it means Yahweh saves, because he will he will save his people from their sins. Alright, sin. Again, it's this idea that each one of us as humans miss what we're intended to be. We we fail to live up to the expectations, the standard of what a human being is supposed to be after all. Now the rest of us we look around and, and we are so accustomed to this idea that we fail that we just made it a proverb to err is human. As if it's okay that all of us are just messed up and screwed up. But Jesus came and showed us, no, actually, humans were meant not to err. But he has come to save us from the error of our ways. From the things within our hearts that are corrupt and just wrong. And how we hurt one another. And how we think, um, we, we despise each other. How we turn people into objects all the time. And it comes out in our words and in our actions and the way we treat one another. Jesus came to save humanity. And this is good news. All right. His name is also Emmanuel. It means God with us. Matthew's claim is that in this baby that was born in Bethlehem of Judea all this long time ago, the God who created heaven and earth has come to be with humans forever. God took on human flesh. He is God with us. And this is something we're just going to have to wrestle with. All right, but now we come to chapter 2. I'm excited to share this story that many of you guys know because we read it every Christmas season. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, all right, during the time of King Herod. Okay, this is important. Not just Herod, King Herod. Remember that. Magi, we'll talk about them in a second. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one? Who has been born king of the jews we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him all right let's imagine for a second you own a home all right for some of you that's reality for some of you this is fantasy but just pretend with me imagine you own a home and you've been there for 20 years and then one day you hear a knock 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 on your door and you open it up and there's some neighbors from down the street And in their arms, they have this giant gift basket. And they say, we came to welcome in the new owners of the house to the neighborhood. And you didn't think that you sold your house. This would be really disturbing. Okay, it's like that only more so. In the days of King Herod, this group of important dignitaries from far out east show up in the capital city of Israel asking, where is your new king? Because we saw a celestial body, a star up in the sky, or a portent in the heavens that announced that a new king of the Jews has been born, and we have come to worship him. This would be profoundly disturbing, and Herod and all Jerusalem are quite disturbed. Now let's talk about magi for a second. All right, magi, magicians, maybe. In Acts chapter 8, we read of one Simon Magus. Simon the Magi. He's a magician. He's not a great dude. All right. In uh, an extra biblical writing. Of the prophet Balaam is called a Magi. Again. Not a great dude. Although we'll talk about him a little bit later. In Daniel. Chapters 2 and, and elsewhere. The Chaldeans. The astrologers. The enchanters. Some of them are called Magi. And they're somewhat of a what do you call it like a, a, a not a neutral character but like, you know they're a bit chaotic like are these good guys or these bad guys are these like who are they they're not orthodox jews that's for sure they're not orthodox christians um there's something else and they saw the stars and they knew what it meant that a king of the jews has been born now that phrase king of the jews won't show up in Again, in Matthew's gospel until chapter 27, it'll be important when it does. And the other thing we have to acknowledge that's kind of strange about the story is not just the Magi, but there's a star that they observed and they said, we know from wherever it was that they came from, we know that meant a king of the Jews has been born. Now, many people have tried to guess, what did they see? Did they see a comet? I mean, we know Halley's comet came through 1211 BC. That was probably too early. Was it a different comet? Was it a planetary conjunction? Which means, you know, in this nighttime sky, did Saturn and Jupiter overlap in the constellation of Pisces? (coughs) Maybe. Was it a nova or a supernova? Turns out those are two different things and I had to look them up. I'd love to tell you about it, but we're at home because it's a snow day. So you have to ask me later. Maybe, we don't know. But whatever it is, these guys knew what it meant. And they got on there, camels, presumably, horses, donkeys, maybe they walked on foot, we don't know. But they showed up in Jerusalem, bearing gifts, wondering where the king of the Jews has been born. Because they saw a star in the east, and they've come to worship him, someone who's worth worshiping. So it's, it's kind of a strange tale, and it's not what we would expect. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, not in the palace, not in Jerusalem. Now when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Rightly so. This would be very disturbing. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked him where the Messiah was to be born. See, Herod had figured it out. This isn't just any king of the Jews whose portent rose in the heavens. All right, this is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to usher in the golden age of Israel. All right, the fulfillment of all God's promises. Where is that guy going to be born? And the chief priests and the teachers of the law they're like we know that one easy in bethlehem and judea ask us a hard question they say this is what the prophet has written but you bethlehem in the land of judah are by no means least among the rulers of judah For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people israel all right now matthew i like to think of him as a bible nerd And whether we get his reference or not, he's fine with it, all right? He's moving on. But if we dig deeper, we realize this guy is doing so much here. All right, this quote is actually a complex quote of two different Bible passages, one of Micah chapter five, verse two, and one of 2 Samuel five, verse two, all right? So this is Micah, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel what Matthew doesn't quote here is the next line says whose origins are from old from ancient times All right, this is no ordinary ruler this is the messiah and he's from a long time back and verse 4 it says and he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his god all right and Israel will live securely and then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth are the messiah is going to come and going to atone for the sins of the people of israel and lead them back to enjoy all of the prosperity that god wants to give his people if they would only listen and obey him the second the last line of this quote that the chief priests give to king herod is from second samuel chapter 5 verse 2 when all of the israelites uh, after the civil war between Abner, son of Ner, um, and the men of uh, Ishbosheth, um give up, they come over to King David uh, and to his army in Hebron, and they say, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And Yahweh said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. All right, so the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And he's going to be the son of David. He's going to rule over the kings of the world. So after Herod learned that, he called the Magi secretly. Let's not make any more disturbances in Jerusalem. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Sorry, my cat is making eyes at the little stand I have my laptop set up on. And uh, I think she's going to try to jump up on it and ruin everything. So we're going to stop her. Thanks, Kara. All right, the cat whisperer has come. Awesome. Go search carefully for the child as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. We know from what happens next in the story that King Herod doesn't really mean it. But as of right now, it seems like maybe he's inclined to go see the Messiah himself. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So however we explain the star, this is no ordinary celestial body. First, it was in the western sky as these guys traveled from the east. And then they get to Jerusalem and all of a sudden the star shows up going southeast. Three and a half miles. And it goes ahead of them and actually stops over a house where the child is. This is not an ordinary start, All right, This is a miraculous sign. And when they saw the star, they were elated. They were overjoyed. They were just beyond themselves, giddy, happy. And on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother, Mary. Apparently, Joseph just wasn't around right then. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. This is unexpected. I mean, for for us this is normal, but but if you're anyone else, the fact that these foreign dignitaries, all right, these grown adults are coming down and bowing before a baby and worshipping him it speaks highly of the person that Jesus is. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Which is why in a traditional nativity scene, we say there's three wise men. We don't know how many there were, but there's three gifts. All right. And some of us are familiar with some of these, and some of these might be strange. What is gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Gold, we know. We still wear it as jewelry. All right. It is the ultimate status symbol of pretty much all people everywhere. All right. Did you know the king of Saudi Arabia has a golden sink? inside his hundred billion dollars 700 boeing 747 all right gold we get it but frankincense and myrrh what are those um if you didn't know they are aromatic resin all right they come from trees that grow in the middle east in yemen south sudan thereabouts Um, and when you when you burn it it's very pungent and aromatic maybe the closest thing we have around here might be like cinnamon but Yeah, aromatic resin. And so they give gold, frankincense, and myrrh to this baby, which is strange. Now, what's going on? We'll we'll talk about that and uh, what their gifts are in a little bit. But after finally finding what they wanted, all right, they found what they were seeking. They go to sleep, presumably happy. And then, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. All right, they, they chose, because of divine revelation through a dream, to not listen to the edict of the king. They'd found the actual king, and then they were able to go home happy. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. It's, it's a wonderful story. Again, most of us are familiar with It's a strange story with puzzling details. And, and Matthew just gives it to us. And again on the surface we're like all right this is a little bit odd but the better we know our old testament the more odd or awesome this story becomes so let's talk a little bit about these scriptural threads that matthew is drawing together in the story okay first of all a star now here on the screen you have a number a quote from numbers chapter 24 but first of all genesis chapter one all right stars are in the sky to serve as signs for appointed times, times to go meet with God. And four books later in the book of Numbers, there is this magi from the east who sees a star representing the king of Israel and then who chooses not to do what the evil king wants him to do. All right, it's a story of Balaam. It's recorded in Numbers 22 through 24. And then partly 25 in chapter 31. But your kids, I think we'll get that story next week. You who have kids in class. Balaam, all right, this prophet, this magi has this vision. And he says, I see him, but not now I behold him, but not near a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. All right, this ancient prophet sees that a king will come out of Israel who will rule over all the nations of the world, and he calls him a star. It's not coincidental that Matthew has a story of these wise men from the east saying, we saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. Beyond the star, we have something else going on. All right, foreign dignitaries bringing gold and fragrant spices to the king of Israel. Oh, that kind of sounds like the story of the queen of Sheba. If you remember this story from 1 Kings chapter 10, All right, a foreign dignitary gets worried about how great the king of Israel is, and she shows up with a caravan of camels laden with gold and spices. And the prophets and the scripture writers post-Solomon look back at the story and say, this is a sign of what is to come. So in Psalms chapter 72, all right, speaking of the future king from the line of David, long may he live, may gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. Or in the prophet Isaiah, again, looking forward to the time of the Messiah, right, when God will keep all his promises. It says in verse 6, um, second half, all those from Sheba will come. They're going to bring gold and frankincense and proclaim the good news of and praises of the Lord. All right, these, these gifts were spoken of in scripture before. But I actually think something even more than that. Is going on. An ancient church father proposed that gold represented the fact that Jesus was king, that frankincense the fact that he was God, and that myrrh, uh, that he would be buried one day, drawing on some different scriptures. But again, I I love my dear uh, brothers and sisters from from church past. I'm going to disagree with them on here. Here's my proposed idea of why I think these guys showed up with these three gifts. All right, because in the scripture, All three of these gifts show up in one specific section of scripture. And that's in the building of the tabernacle. We just went through the Torah, Exodus, chapters 25 through 31. Gold is all over the tabernacle. All right, frankincense and myrrh are part of the incense that's burned, part of the anointing oil that is used in the tabernacle. And later, these three ingredients are used in King Solomon's temple. I think these guys are bringing temple building supplies to the king of Israel. And and why do I think that? I think that because of 2 Samuel chapter 7, because of the book of Chronicles, and because of the book of Zechariah. All right, in 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant, God promises to David that one day your son will come. He's going to rule over the nations of the world. He will be my son. He will build a house for my name. And when you get to the book of Chronicles, the chronicler looks back over the entire history of the world, starting at Adam and going past the exile and his hope and the anticipation that he leaves at the very end of the book has our our gaze and our attention focused on the coming son of David, who's going to build a house for the Lord. Now the prophet Zechariah is very confusing, but in chapter six of Zechariah, there's this additional prophecy. All right. Uh, there's this sign, you know, go find the high priest, put a gold crown on his head and say, here is the man whose name is the branch. We'll talk about that next week. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of Yahweh. It is he who will build the temple of Yahweh. He will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne. All right. So there is a priest king who's going to come and build the temple of Yahweh. And in verse 15, it says, and those who are far away, will come and help to build the temple of Yahweh. And you will know that Yahweh Almighty has sent me to you. Lo and behold, Matthew's gospel begins with the story of those who are far away, I think, who are coming to help build the temple of Yahweh. They're bringing gifts to build a temple. And Matthew's gospel will end with a resurrected king of Israel commissioning his disciples to go out to the nations and make disciples of all of them to go build a church. And so for the rest of of time, people who are far away are gonna bring their gifts, their talents and treasures and help to build a dwelling place for God and the Holy Spirit. I think that's what's going on here in these subtle threads that Matthew is weaving together. Could be wrong, but this is what I think. Now, whether I'm right on that whole temple building line or not, I think the point of the story Here is that Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the prophetically anticipated king of the Jews. All right. He was born in Bethlehem. He's of the line of David. All right. But he came in a way that we didn't expect. And yet the prophets have been talking about it. So we looked at how the story is a little bit strange. We looked at how the story brings together so many different lines and threads from the Old Testament. But family of grace for us when it comes to how we might respond to it, I want to focus in on one particular element of the story, all right? I want to think about how we are going to, we personally are going to respond to the King of the Jews. Because in the story, there's these three characters who respond in very different ways. There's Herod, there's the chief priests and the scribes, and there's the Magi. When King Herod heard about the King of the Jews, he saw Jesus as a threat to his power he's going to respond with hostility. When the chief priests and the scribes hear about Jesus, you know what? They knew the scriptures. They knew where the Messiah was going to be born. And Bethlehem's three and a half miles away. And it doesn't seem like there's any indication that they did anything with the information. They knew the answers and they sat on it. Now, maybe Matthew just doesn't record what else happened, but for the sake of our application this morning let's just say these guys were ambivalent and lastly we have the magi they saw the sign they saw the star they knew what it meant and so they got together their gear and they launched out for what was probably a multi-month road trip to go and worship a king and to leave their treasures at his feet why because he was the greatest treasure of all and they wanted it They wanted him. They knew who he was, and they came to worship him. And so family of grace, this morning, I want us to recognize the King of the Jews and to come to worship him, bringing our gifts. So let us avoid hostility and ambivalence. And yes, I know that the people in the world who are genuinely hostile towards the message of Jesus, there are governments in the world That are genuinely hostile to the message of Jesus but this morning i want to talk about Jesus people like myself who sometimes respond with hostility to the message of Jesus and it's not that i don't believe in the guy and it's not that i don't love the guy but sometimes my heart is just frankly hard i don't know if you can relate it's kind of like sometimes in my marriage Um, I know your relationship is probably perfect, just kidding, Um, but sometimes Kara and I will get into it and we get really upset with each other and I find myself most often in the kitchen doing dishes, late at night, angry and sullen and bitter because I don't want to have to go reconcile first. Like can't I be immature in this relationship one time and, and let Kara be extra mature? Wouldn't that be great? And God just doesn't let me off the hook. <laughs> and sometimes I'm angry at that. Sometimes I, I I know I know how to follow Jesus and I know the right thing to do. But for a time I'm I'm hostile towards Jesus. You know, it's like I've I've let you into my life and I've given you so much like can can you just leave off for a minute? But Jesus came and he yielded his life in order to save the world from our sins, which means that not only has he saved me from my sins, but he's saving me from my sins. And so, so he doesn't let me off the hook. Thank God. Thank God. But sometimes I struggle with hostility towards him. I don't know if you ever do. Sometimes I am ambivalent towards Jesus. Like the chief priests and the scribes, I have all the right theological answers, okay? I'm pretty good at talking but putting it into action actually doing something with the knowledge that i know sometimes i struggle with it and i'm really good at excuses you know we're busy we live hectic lives it's not that jesus is unimportant it's not that pursuing a vibrant relationship with god like yes we, we know he's valuable we know he's a treasure but sometimes like we're just busy and overwhelmed all right um, you know, our, our kids are running crazy, our house is a mess, our, our, our bills are, are tight, our, our work uh, relationships with our, with our boss is stressed. There's extra things that are happening all the time. And, you know, it's just easy to say, yeah, we, we know the answers. We know that Jesus is a treasure of surpassing value, um, but it's a relationship we can take for granted. It's something we don't necessarily need to act on or to do. I hope we don't do that this morning. I hope we would not respond. With hostility and ambivalence I hope we respond like the magi and search for Jesus I read this week an article in Christianity uh, today I think it's like from 2015 and it's a story about a guy who grew up in the 60s and as he and his friends now joke if you remember the 60s you weren't there because he and all his college buddies are getting high on every substance known to man, seeking to expand their consciousness, just to search out the deep mysteries of the universe. All right, just full-on hippies. And one of his friends had a vision of Jesus while on an LSD trip and came to Christ. That's not the story we want to hear, especially if uh, if we're pretty well-to-do like religious folk. That's not... That's not the the model we want to have. Like, what would we do with that? Oh, that would be like a bunch of foreign magi showing up in Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews. See, my dad had a problem with those hippie people. My dad was a Marine, (laughs) a Jesus-loving Marine, and he had no space for peace-loving hippies. Until one day, one of them showed up at church. My dad was a greeter. And here came this long-haired guy, and he knew it was going to be a test on his heart. So he put out his hand he says hi i'm dan and that hippie guy grabbed my dad's hand and shook it and he says hi i'm randy it's nice to meet you brother and inside my dad just went, and that night god was just tapping on my dad's heart and says "Dan, i love him too and my dad responded god you can't love a hippie and god says yes i can Dan." turns out randy and my dad became best friends because god loves all types of people and and sometimes it's the ones that we wouldn't expect, who see that Jesus is valuable. Who come to understand that he is the most priceless treasure. Maybe they came from a more, more broken background than, than we do. And yet some days, those those weak new Christians see Jesus as something that the rest of us just take for granted. We forget that even after we found Jesus, we need to keep seeking him. It's a relationship to keep investing in. He's someone worth finding over and over again. Because the thing about loving Jesus is the more you love him, the more you grow and are able to love him. And the longer you serve him, if you do it right, the more joyful service to him becomes. Like the healthiest relationship between two people who love one another. It just gets better with time. And yet some of us, grow cold. <laughs> Some of us grow busy. This morning, I hope that we would search for Jesus. And maybe that means that this week you need to show up to the Thursday class and come to find him. Maybe it means that you're going to go on a, a quest to discover like who Jesus is and to wrestle his identity down to the ground. Or maybe it means that you're going to go out your door and you're going to go over to your neighbor and you're going to try to help them with whatever's going on in their life. Because you believe that in that person over there, the image of God resides. And Jesus shows up among the poor and the vulnerable among us. And we need to go looking for him. All right, They're going to call us like the Magi. Not only to seek for Jesus, but if you have found him, to worship and obey him. And that doesn't mean be super cold and stodgy. And in family regrets, I just admit Sometimes I fail to model this well. All right? Worship is not something that's supposed to be cold and lifeless. All right? If you got front row seats to a Taylor Swift concert. If you got if you got seats at the 50-yard line on the Super Bowl. You'd be thrilled. All right? And that thrill at seeing something spectacular, that's an element of worship if you have ever lined up outside of a movie theater okay who does that anymore if you have ever stood outside best buy on black friday or or if you have ever waited up till midnight quickly refreshing the tabs on your computer so that you can buy something on a deal you know a little bit about worship if you've ever surrounded yourselves by the people who meant the most to you for a holiday or a gathering Where you can celebrate that you are loved and known and accepted and safe. You know something of worship. If you have ever broke your bank in order to buy a lavish gift for somebody who matters to you, you know something of worship. Guys, Jesus has done more for us than anyone else. He knows us better than anyone else. And he loves us greater than anyone else. You know, I I talked to a guy one time. He talked about romantic relationships. He says, here's how it works. You choose your love and then you love your choice. And by that, he meant that after finding the person that you're going to marry, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning to chase someone you've already caught, learning to love someone you've already chosen. You quit looking, but now you you change the relationship and you dive deeper. All right, when it comes to Jesus, if we have chosen him already, if we sought him and we found him, now let's learn to love him all the more by continuing to seek and chase after him and to respond out of love and gratitude with worship and with obedience. Because he's worth it. I, I would love it if we could see that he's worth it today. And may we bring him our treasure. And not just our money, but, but yes, our money too. Um, just like we, we do anytime we go shopping or anytime we're buying a gift for somebody else, we we don't count it that costly because we know that this matters. This is worth it. All right, let's bring him our treasure, but also let us bring him our time. Let us bring him our talents. Maybe this is the year that you wonder, how can I use what I have to invest in building up the church? Especially if I'm right that the Magi brought Jesus temple building supplies. Jesus has given us temple building supplies. You have something. I have something that is good for other people. So right now, you know, Kevin and Teresa Culbertson, they need help. And thank you. Thank you, Hernandez family, for opening up your home to love and serve them. You are building up the temple of God. All right. Thank you, those of you who are taking care of kids in our community. You are building up the temple of God. Thank you, Those of you who are checking the mail, who are helping uh, the blind, who are you know feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, serving the poor, just loving people and getting to know their names—you guys are building up the church of God, and it all matters. And so, whether you're going to join us on, on Thursdays to take intentional steps towards loving Jesus more this year, maybe you're going to show up on Sunday mornings and just pray with us. Maybe this afternoon you're going to open up your Bible for the first time in a long while and just read it and try to make sense of it for the first time. I hope this morning that we will see that Jesus is a treasure beyond all treasures. And if we found him, great. (laughs) Let's seek him again. Because there's more to find. Because he's better than we thought. Because if we want him, we can come get him. Because here's Here's the best thing about Jesus these days, is we don't have to go on a road trip to find him anymore. We don't have to leave our homes for months on end to find the answer to to the empty places in our lives. He is immediately accessible to every single one of us right now because of what Christ has done, because he's poured out the Spirit. And, And I don't know why this should be so strange to us, that God could give each one of us our full attention. After all, each one of us in our pockets right now probably have a cell phone, which is this cool little device that lets us talk to people at any place around the globe instantaneously with a ring. All right? It's like local access to something that is nearly universal as far as people on planet Earth are concerned. All right, the good news about Jesus now that he is resurrected Lord and King reigning in heaven is that we have direct access to him. That to seek him, we don't have to do more than just call out on his name and pray. Just talk as if he is there and listening because he is there and he is listening. And he loves us. That we, we can see him in our the neighbor across from us and the people that we're serving. That he is, he is here and now available. And we can worship him and we can love him and we can call on his name and he will answer. He waits to be found. He came humbly. He's coming again in glory. But right now, we haven't missed the opportunity. Right now, if you are hearing this now today, there's still an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And whether you don't call him your Lord and Savior, and I hope you will, or whether you've been calling him Lord and Savior for the 20 years, I hope today that you walk away valuing Jesus more. Because he loves us. He came to save us. From our sins. He is God with us. All right. May we fall and worship at his feet right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your son. And thank you, Lord, that though separated um, from one another right now physically, Lord, uh, in the spirit, we are already anticipating the day when we will fully worship you in your presence forever together. And Jesus, thank you for being accessible to all of us through the Holy Spirit, that you have led us to God uh, your Father and provided access for us to enter into the throne of grace, that we have a chance to build your church up even today, to love and serve those around us, to use uh, the talents and treasure that you have graciously provided us in order to better the lives of the people around us. God, would you help us? Father, would you give us your love for your Son? Spirit, would you teach us of the, the greatness of Christ? And as we look to him day in and day out, more and more, we find that we are changed in the looking, that we would become more like Jesus, that we would love him more, and that we would go and love other people like him more. Father, bless your people this morning. I pray in Christ's name, amen.